0: You know, it's great every Sunday to, to gather, to worship together, and really, worship is so much more than singing. Um, I, we hope and we pray every Sunday that this is, in a lot of ways, maybe a spiritual pit stop that fuels you up for your week, knowing that it, it's a challenge in the world in which we live to live out faith and to be a person of faith, and, and that as we gather, we gather to kind of maybe re-anchor, recenter ourselves on who God is and his character and what he has for our lives and that's why we worship. So worship is a posture of an an attitude, a choice. It's not a song that you sing, although it involves maybe that. But it's a decision that we have. And so every Sunday we invite you to lean into worship and then to lean into God's word. We teach from the Bible and want that to be applicable to our lives. And so tonight we're going to continue on in this series called Thrive, looking at the life of Daniel in the book of Daniel. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It's in the Old Testament. If you find Psalms, which is like the big book in the middle of the Bible, and go right about three or four books, you'll find Daniel. Or you can look on your smartphone on the YouVersion Bible app and find all the kind of notes that we'll have tonight, the scripture passages for that. And let me kind of get you caught up a little bit. If you have not been here, you can go back online, just underneath our messages, and you can catch up on your own. But just Daniel, again, is about 605 B.C., And Jerusalem has kind of been sieged and taken over by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire that has developed. It's the superpower of the day. It's taken over everything, everything from north of Egypt and North Africa all the way up into modern day kind of Iraq area. And all of this is under dominion and rule of Babylon, the great Babylon. 500 miles away from Jerusalem, they've taken 10,000 refugees, the best of the best. These are the, maybe the royal family, those who were connected, who uh, were without blemish and who are, are just a part of, they're smart, and they've been educated and kind of relocated, re-educated, and kind of reindoctrinated into the Babylonian culture that's there in Babylon full of mysticism, full of astrology, full of all these things that are maybe counter to what God says and how he calls us to live, the story kind of zeroes in on Daniel and his squad. We kind of nicknamed it that. It's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and it's following their life. We're going to see those three kind of more next week in Daniel chapter 3, but in Daniel chapter 2, I won't have time to read all of it, and hopefully maybe you got a chance to read some, or this week you could read some. It's this incredible story that begins to unfold. And here's what we've seen so far in the life of Daniel, that they've kind of pushed back at the lunch table when the, the king's table and his food was going to provide everything for them, but it wasn't kosher. It wasn't like along their dietary laws uh, of being Jewish guys. And they just said, no, just give us vegetables and water. We thought for teenagers to eat vegetables and water, that is a God thing. And so like he does that, God blesses them, and he's kind of working through them. They've gone through Babylon University for Three years, they're the best of the best out of everyone who's gone through that and the king has recognized that. That's the end of chapter one. Now chapter two picks up in the middle of a nightmare. I don't know, how many of you have ever had a nightmare before? Like one that woke you up. Maybe you've woken up like you're floating at sea. That usually means you have to go. And so like anything around water, your body's trying to wake you up to go, right? Uh, Maybe you've had a nightmare where something like shots you out of bed. You ever had one of those moments where you just kind of sat up straight and you're like, what in the world? And you're trying to figure out where reality is. Well, that's Nebuchadnezzar. That's what's happening about two, three in the morning sometime and probably for days. This has been going on. He's been having this reoccurring dream that's troubling him. Now, if you're the superpower and you have autonomy and you're, like you're the only ruler of the only known superpower of the day and you're having bad dreams, that's something, right? Because you usually could take care of anything because you have ultimate power and ultimate sway. But there's something that's gnawing at Nebuchadnezzar. And so he's having these dreams, and this is where we're going to pick up the story, and I'm going to walk I'll read portions of this, and we'll kind of fill in the blanks as we go along the way. There's some prophecy that takes place in here. I don't have time to unpack a lot, but I want us to look at this encounter, and I want us to see two things tonight. I want you to look for Daniel's attitude, what he focuses, and more in particular, where and who his focus is on. And I want us to draw out some application that I think is applicable for us in a world and a culture in which we live that much like the world of Babylon had this say that you're to think like us, you're to act like us, you're to, you're to do what we do and talk the way we talk and Daniel and his squad are kind of pushing back and saying no, I'm not, we're not gonna do that, we're not gonna disobey God in order to obey man. Daniel was a person we're seeing that lives with these godly convictions that were kind of like a compass for his life. And yet he did it in these graceful interactions. He wasn't a jerk about his faith. He wasn't a jerk about how to live out faith. And we see this. He had this inner fortified faith we looked at last week. But in Daniel chapter two, the king has these dreams, right? And so when you're a king and you have ultimate power and you've just educated 10,000 plus people in the best university of the known world and you want interpretation of your dream, what do you do? Well, you call in the best of the best. So he calls in all these... Astrologies, all these uh, mysticist people all these wise people of the day and he says i want you to interpret my dream in fact here's what it says verse one starting chapter two in the second year of his reign nebuchadnezzar had dreams his mind was troubled and he could not sleep anyone ever not been able to sleep you are instantly troubled when you cannot sleep right so the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, astrologers to tell them to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream, not I have a dream, I had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. And so, of course, if you're the best of the best, your next natural question would be, oh, king, it will be okay. Just tell us what you dreamed. And so the astrologers answered the king, may the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. King, you don't know the schooling we went through. We've got shelves upon shelves of dream interpretation. And so we are here to help you, O oh great king, may you live forever. And then the king, in all of his wacko wisdom, says this. The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was, and then interpret it for me, I will have you cut in pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. <laughs> Think about that. You get summoned into a king who's got ultimate power and he says to you, I want you to interpret my dream. Okay, king, well, tell us the dream. We'll, we'll make up an interpretation, okay? We're gonna help you. No, 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 you're gonna tell me what I dreamed. Uh, uh, excuse me? Yeah, I'm gonna tell you what you dreamed and then interpret it? Yeah, that's what I firmly decided. And if you don't, I'm gonna cut you up in pieces and burn your house to rubble. Go. Uh, What do you think? Like, this is a big gulp moment, not like a soda break or anything. This is like, what in the world is happening in front of us? And then they go on. This is what I firmly decided. If you don't tell me, interpret it. I will have you cut up, blah, 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 blah. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. If by the off chance you actually tell me what I dream, I'm going to bling you out, okay? You're going to have great power and sway, and you're going to be elevated in the kingdom. Well, if this is you, and you're called before the king, what are you thinking right now? You could talk to yourself. Like, What are you actually thinking in this moment, being in this room? You're probably having flashbacks to your childhood. You're having flashbacks to your family. You're having flashbacks to everything that's been dear to you in life because you're realizing, I don't know if this is even possible to do what this king has said. You're having this big gulp kind of moment. In fact, they say it here in verse 10. The astrologers answered the king, there, there is no one on earth who can do what you're asking. No king, however great and mighty throughout all of the known world, has ever asked such a thing of their magicians and chanters and astrologers. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal to the king except the gods, little g, and they don't even live among humans. So what's happening in this culture is the astrologers are saying, king, you're... Uh, we're not going to say it to your face, but you're whacked, okay? There's no one who can do what you're asking to be done. In fact, I I don't even think the gods, little g, can do what you're saying, and they don't even live around here for us to ask. See, this is a polytheistic society, culture, a, a culture of multiple gods. You've got moon gods, you've got harvest gods, you've got all these kind of gods for everything under the sun. And when your harvest is struggling, well, you pray to the harvest god. And you offer sacrifices and incense and you hope that they listen because they live so far away. And maybe you're gonna have to yell or maybe you're gonna have to cut yourself or maybe you're gonna have to show some act of sacrifice in order to get their attention even. We see this all over the Old Testament. See, King... No one can even know this. Not even the gods know this. They don't live around here. What's interesting is remember, we're looking at the book of Daniel or the Old Testament, but we always overlay the gospel of Christ over every story you read because Jesus is the culmination of everything. He's the point. He's the point of all of the Bible, of all the scriptures. He's the exclamation point. He's where it ends, he's where it began, he's everything in the middle. What's fascinating about Christianity, even in our context, in our day, is that Jesus of the Bible and the the narrative of the scriptures is that God loves proximity with people. In fact, you go all the way back to Genesis. In Genesis, God is walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. The creator walking with the created Close, intimate, proximity. And then something shatters that. Did God break it? No, we did. We thought we knew better. And so we took control. We created a dissonance in the relationship. We fractured it. That's what the Bible calls sin that we've created something. We, in our own rebellion, chose to do things our way instead of falling in unison and in alignment with God, and so we broke the relationship. We fractured it, and the fractures of that impact everything. And so as we've walked away, God didn't walk away. That's the beautiful part of what you see in the scriptures is that God didn't say, well, forget you. In that very moment, he began to put in a plan that culminates in Jesus, of a God who's pursuing humanity, wanting to get closer and closer and closer till finally we can actually have life with God now and on into eternity. That's the picture of what you see in the Bible when you look and study the life of Jesus is a God who's always pursuing proximity, not content with distance. It's fascinating to begin to see just the framework of how they saw things. The gods, the little Gs, they don't even live in proximity. But the one true God, the Bible says, he wants to. In fact, he's gotten so close. Here's what the Gospel of John writes. In John chapter one, verse 14, it says this, this is the message version, which is a paraphrase of the scriptures, it's a great picture, just listen to these words where John captured, he said, the word, and the word is Jesus, okay? So that's who the word is. He was in the beginning, he, he was from the beginning, he is in all things. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what Jesus did? Is that he moved into your neighborhood so that he could be close to you. So, oh king, there's no way that anyone can answer your request and so what does the king go, guys, you're right. I don't know what I was thinking. I'm so sorry. That's so much pressure to put on you guys. Tell you what, I'm going to buy dinner tonight, okay? We're all going to chill and just relax a little bit. We'll think about it. We'll talk out loud. Is that what he does? No. See, when you're a superpower and you're the ultimate control and someone tells you no, what do you do? Hey, Ariak, go cut them all up in pieces and burn their houses to rubble, will you? We'll get some new guys. That's what happens, that's the death sentence that gets pictured here. So Ariok, you know, kind of the king's guard, probably wipes his hand like this is gonna be awesome. It's a party. Um, And so he rounds up all these wise men. We don't know the number of people, but think about the investment that has been made for three years into these wise men, and then gone in a split second because the king is ticked. All right, forget that, we're gonna go wipe it off. We'll start over. So these are escorted out, right? Here's the interesting thing. Where's Daniel? Where's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Because they're not here. For some reason, they're not in the presence of the king in this particular moment. As if to almost kind of say what we've been kind of saying from the beginning. Okay, we may be in your world, but we're not of it, okay? So I don't know why they're not there. The Bible doesn't allude to here's why. But Ariok goes to their house and he knocks Hey, Daniel! Here to round you guys up. They're going to be uh, chopped up into pieces. We're going to burn your house to rubble. <laughs> Imagine answering that door. <laughs> uh, What? <laughs> Sorry. The door was closed, a little muffled. <laughs> it sounded like you're going to cut us up into pieces and burn our house to rubble. Yep, that's pretty much what we're going to do. I'm here. You're going to join these guys. We're going to head out there and get this done. Daniel, in his graceful interactions, God's been giving him favor all along the way, says something very wise to Ariok. Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> what is going on? And Ariac relays the story. Hey, king's a little ticked. He's, I know he's weird. Uh, but he's killing all these people because they can't tell him the dream and like uh, interpret it for him. And so Daniel says, uh, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, <clears throat> so we have to tell him the dream, what he dreamed, and then we have to interpret it for him. Yeah, okay. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, could you give me one night? How about that? One night to think and pray about it, and then I'll give an answer to the king. Ariac's like, well, I really wanted to kill a bunch of people tonight, but I guess, fine, we'll wait till the morning, it's better in the daylight anyway. So, um, gives Daniel a break. Daniel goes back to his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and says to them, hey guys, stop playing Pac-Man, because there's not much out back then. Uh, we need to pray, and we need to pray for God's intervention in this. So the story continues and goes on. So, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel spend the evening praying. Here's a little pause, put a bookmark there. Isn't it awesome to have people who pray with you when crisis and trouble come. This is just a little caveat, a little reminder. One of the things we value around here is people living a connected life, not just a surrounded life. Not just people that are around you, but you're actually connected with people that when you go through challenging times, hopefully never this challenging, when you go through challenging times, you can call people and those people will drop what they're doing and they'll join you in praying for God's intervention. And so that's what happens. Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Medigo, they pray. And they pray for God's intervention. And listen, they pray not just for their intervention, for the four of them, but for God to step into this whole scenario, this whole circumstance that seems crazy and whacked. God, we need your intervention. There's no one else that's gonna do anything. We need you. And somewhere in the night, God gives Daniel a vision. And he has a vision of what this dream was for the king. And so the next morning, Daniel gets up, he goes to Arioch. Hey, Eric, um, <coughs> good news, uh, maybe bad news for you, I don't know. Uh, but I need an audience with the king. I'm gonna tell him what he dreamed. And you know, Ariak's probably like, oh man, I, just, I was gonna kill everybody. Uh, I was just, all right, fine. So they go back before the king, right? And before they even get there, probably early on in the morning, I want you to listen to Daniel's prayer. That after God has revealed this to him, here's what he says, and here's what I want you to listen for. See, typically, I'll speak for myself. When I have an epiphany, when I feel like God's given me the answer I've been seeking, there's a lot of times I wanna make that about me. There's a lot of times, if I'm just honest, where I want the credit, almost. And here, I want you to listen to who gets the credit in these four simple verses, because it's, a, it's an amazing pattern. In fact, if you have your Bible, I want you to circle the number of times Daniel uses the word his, or God, or he, okay? I want you to circle this. So here's what he says, starting in verse 19. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised God of heaven, and he said, Praise be the name of God for ever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He disposes of kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in the darkness and light dwells in him. I thank and praise you, God, of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we ask of you, and you have made known to us the dream of the king. Third. Thirteen times in four verses. Who gets the credit? God does. Think of that pattern. Thirteen times in four verses. See, in our land, in our culture, the pattern is me, 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 me. In Daniel's understanding of the world in which he lived, he lived with this knowledge, God, it is about you, 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 you. It is always about you, God. He spent his energy building up the reputation and pointing out the reputation of God versus trying to protect his own or build his own reputation. In fact, here's what I wrote Live with a heart that promotes and points out God's reputation over carving out and protecting yours. Let God form that kind of heart in you, that you would be a person who lives with a heart that's always promoting and pointing out God's reputation, his character, versus always trying to carve out and protect what you're wanting to do. That doesn't mean you can't build a reputation, doesn't mean you shouldn't build your reputation and grow it strong for being the right kind of reputation. But what Daniel does in this moment is he doesn't hold back and try to make it about him. He's pointing all the credit back to God. He goes on, verse 24, then Daniel went with Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men, and said to them, do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. I love how Daniel doesn't just kind of seek his best in this moment. He actually looks out for these other guys who are not aligned with him and how he lives life, but he speaks up for them. I wrote this this principle, strong people stand up for themselves, but stronger people stand up for others. And that's what Daniel does. He emerges not seeking his own well-being, but the well-being of those Nebuchadnezzar has kind of sentenced to slaughter. And he stands up for them. And I believe as Christians, we're called in the scriptures to stand up for people who have a limited voice, who have no voice, and in the moments we're in, the best we can, we would stand up and we would, we would speak for people, because God loves people, that we're to be advocates, those active agents of God, and for his best and for his love in this world to everyone that we're able to reach. See, part of the mission of this church is inviting people into a life-giving, life-changing relationship with Jesus and bringing the hope of Jesus to the heart of this city to be an advocate or this active agent for God in a region of our city that has felt abandoned and neglected, passed over and left behind. And I believe God wants to raise up his church, people who will stand up and speak out for those who need it and for those that God is searching for. We need to be a people who look beyond just ourselves gathered here but to be a church that exists exists for the people who aren't here yet. And for the people that God longs to meet and to reach with his love. And so Daniel goes on this journey, right? Back to the king's palace. I I love, uh, this is a little side note, Ariok here, uh, maybe you have, uh, maybe you're at work and you have managers that you bring up an idea. They're like, that's a great idea. I'm gonna bring it up to the boss, okay? And then they take the credit for it because here's what (laughs) Ariok does. Oh, great king! I have found a man from the, this tribe that could interpret your dream. Did he do that? No. Mm-hmm. Daniel did that, right? But he's trying to steal the credit. All of a sudden, Daniel goes before the king. The king finally says, hey, uh, well, can you, uh, do, do you know my dream and can you interpret it? And I love Daniel's answer in verse 26. Uh, no. <laughs> I just think that's hilarious. <laughs> um, he asked Daniel, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, No. No wise man or enchanter or magician or diviner can explain to the king his mystery that he's asked about, but but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Who is he pointing out again? Himself? Is he building his reputation in this moment, or is he pointing out and pointing forward to God's reputation? There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you are lying in bed are these. And he goes on to tell this dream. This dream of this giant, enormous statue, right? Uh, that has this head of gold and it has this uh, different parts of the body are, are different. So the chest and the arms are silver, right? Right? And the belly and the thighs are are made out of, let me see here, out of bronze. And the legs of iron and feet partly mixed with iron and clay. And what I don't have time to go into is the explanation for all this, but I'll briefly kind of share with you. What Daniel is beginning to reveal to the king is here's what you are dreaming about. You're dreaming about the future, O king. And God right now has given you dominion over pretty much all the known world at the time. And the Babylon kingdom is one that he's allowed to be established. You're the head of gold, O king. But after you, there will come another. The Medes and the Persians, they're going to rise up. And they're going to dominate. And then they're going to be destroyed. And then you're going to have the Greeks that kind of rise up and take over a large portion of this whole region. And then they're going to fall. And then you're going to have Rome that rises up. But it's going to be this divided kingdom because it's this iron mixed with clay. And then it goes on in this dream of this giant rock that's not cut by human hands that comes and smashes the statue to pieces and it's like chaff and it's just the wind blows and everything's blown away. And it says this rock that's not cut by human hands is gonna establish and grow into this mountain and this everlasting kingdom that will never, ever, ever, ever end. Now, if you just play that out, I just told you what was gonna happen and what we've seen in history. So Babylonians are there, they're in great power, superpower of the day. Medes and Persians take over, kick your butt. Greeks rise up. Rome comes in. At the end, kind of in the Roman rule, this rock, who's known as the rock in the Bible? Take a wild Sunday school guess. Jesus, yes, he's the answer to all things, remember? Jesus comes and establishes a kingdom that grows into this mountain of a kingdom that will never end and never be conquered. Why? Because his kingdom's not of this world. And so you begin to see how all this prophecy kind of fits together, that's what Daniel in 605 B.C. is prophesying, okay? So that's what's beginning to play out. The great God, it goes on, verse 46, the great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and the interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel, paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of all gods, little g's, and the Lord of all kings, little K." and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal the mystery to me. Then uh, the king placed Daniel in a high position, lavished him with many gifts on him, made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon, and placed him in charge of all of his wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as administrators in the province of Babylon, and King Daniel himself remained in the royal court for the rest of his life. So you have a refugee that becomes prime minister, How does that happen? Not by Daniel's power. Because Daniel lived his whole entire life trying to promote and point out the reputation of God versus trying to carve out and protect his own reputation. He said, I'm going to spend my life speaking up for others. I'm going to spend my life pointing out to who God is and what he's really like. And Nebuchadnezzar's is awed in this moment. He he kind of has a God moment, but not a conversion moment, because you're going to see in chapter three that he's got really bad short attention span. But Daniel plays out, and this is kind of the lesson that I, I wrote, uh, build God's kingdom first and foremost and trust him to provide and establish yours as needed. Live with a perspective where you're building God's kingdom first and foremost. Remember, this is what Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew chapter six, do not worry saying what am I gonna eat or what am I gonna drink or what should I wear? For the pagans, the the people of this world run after all these things and they pursue all these things with all of their energy. God knows that you need these things. But you, you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, his best, his ways, His love, you seek that first and all these other things will be given to you as well. Jesus is saying, listen, focus your energies toward God's best and toward his kingdom and to his way and to his reign. You have a reign. It's the scope of of reach that you have with your skill sets and your resources and your talents and your abilities and you can focus all of that on yourself and you could do it. And I'm gonna tell you what will happen. You'll wake up at 85 if you get to live that long and you'll be really sad because you'll finally realize that your kingdom isn't very big. It's pretty little. And the reach and the scope that you have to build and be creative with has minimal impact. But the option is What Jesus is saying, I think what Daniel began to understand is, I can pour myself into promoting God and his reputation, building into his kingdom, and he will bless me with my kingdom as well. Is this a gospel get rich quick scheme? No, because you may never get rich. But you're in America, so you are already. Just look it up. Go to uh, globalrichlist.com. If you make more than $25,000 a year, you are rich. You're in the top 5% of the world. So you're already blessed. And we spend so much energy trying to be more blessed instead of saying, God, how can I be a blessing? How can I give my life to your kingdom? That doesn't mean you can't have cool stuff. Doesn't mean you can't do good trips. It doesn't mean any of that. What it means is where's your focus? That's the question it's asking. Christians, those of us who are Christ followers, if your soul pursuit is about your comfort, then you are trying to build your kingdom, period. But if you are willing to say, God, I want to build into your kingdom, I want to invest my resources, my talents, my time, my abilities, my, my dreams, my passions, into what's your best, into bringing your kingdom here, and to bring it more here on earth as it is in heaven, in at least the scope that I have an ability to impact. Would you help me to do that? And by the way, would you provide for me? Because I'd like to eat. I'd like to have clothes. And God's already said, Jesus, we'll take care of that, okay? But you spend your energy investing into this kingdom. You are a manager, not an owner of your things. God's given you the passions and the ability to work hard, Make sure you're living for the right kingdom. Here's a, a final thought that I put. Discipleship, uh, churches use that word a lot. Discipleship, all it really means is, is those next steps of growing as a follower of God. Okay? What does it look like to take those next steps? Well, everyone's next steps are different. So it's kind of a customized plan, but that's what discipleship means. How am I growing as a follower of God? There is always an inescapable tug of war as we work on that, as we begin to, to invest in living that out between the building of the kingdom of the self, what I can control, what I want, what I desire, and the kingdom of God. There will always be a tug of war. It will never, ever be over. What you want is to manage that tension and for you to pull a little bit less so that God can pull your resources, your energy, your skill sets, your time into building his kingdom a little bit more, and he'll take care of you. You worry about putting the spotlight on God's reputation and pointing people to him and loving people the way that he calls us to do that and investing your skills and talents and abilities in that vein, and he'll take care of the rest, friends. He just does. He's a good God who has great plans for you and wants to use your life to make an impact. And often, myself included, often we can get sidelined because we try to build our own kingdom and we try to make it all about us. And what we see in the life of Daniel is is a guy at an early age who just lived with this conviction compass that said, you know what, it's not always about me. This is really, I'm in a grand narrative of God's story. I'm a small part in a big play. I'm not the main character. And so I want all the attention to go to the main character. I want all the attention in the spotlight to go to the one who deserves it, to the one who needs it, and the one who can do the best with it. And so I'm gonna pour my energies into that and I'll let him take care of my role. I'm gonna trust him with that. And so the invitation this week is real simple. Maybe it's a question of whose kingdom are you really building? Only you can answer that. Whose kingdom are you really spending your time and energy, resources, and building? Is it yours or is it God's? That's that's a legitimate question to ask and to wrestle with. And the secondly is, God, would you show me how to promote and point out your reputation, your character to the people around me in maybe a little bit easier way that I would just like more naturally want to do that. Not, not that I'm a weirdo at the office and like, oh, speaking of coffee, that reminds me of Jesus Christ. That starts with C. Um, and no, 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 like, don't be weird about it, okay? Just, God, how can I point you out to the people around me a little bit more? What would it look like to begin to do that? And for you and God to go on a, on a journey of figuring that out for your scene and your scope of influence that God's given you. So I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna enter into a time of communion and worship with a couple of closing songs here. But I wanna invite you to take this time. As you prepare to kinda take that bread and to hold that cup, this is a moment for us to kinda re-anchor ourselves to go, God, okay, you gave everything for me. And you've called me to seek you first. And you'll take care of the rest. So help me to seek you. Help me to figure out what does that actually look like. Does that, that doesn't necessarily mean I'm reading my Bible 24 hours a day. You don't have to go weird with this. But what does it mean that you're a priority? What does it mean that first and foremost, I'm seeking your best? So Father, I pray in these next few minutes as we remember you, Jesus, through communion the shedding of your blood, the giving of, of your body broken for us, the forgiveness of our sins, the invitation to have life with you, God, in faith. We're grateful for it. As we worship you, would you stir our hearts in these next couple songs, or would you help us wrestle and, and figure out practically, what does this look like this week that we'd wrestle with the question of, whose kingdom am I really building? And secondly, God, that you give us some insights into how we can kind of point you out or promote you, build your reputation, point it out to the people around us in the scope and the reach you've given us. So we worship you, Jesus. We lean into you in this time of communion and these next couple songs. Would you speak to us?